always good to be here with you. Um, and I'm going to say uh, immediately, um, I believe God has a good plan for one community church. That's one of the reasons that we're here. And I know you believe that. That's why you're here. That's what you're looking for. And, and together, hopefully, we're going to see some ways God is going to open some doors and, and do some work while, while we're together. Some of you know a little bit about me. Some I've been here a number of times as a speaker through the years, but <clears throat> I'm going to give you just a brief introduction just to get acquainted a bit. Uh, my name is Craig, Craig Frank, uh, and I'm comfortable with being called Craig or Pastor Craig. Whatever you're most comfortable with is fine, fine with me. Uh, this is my wife, Letha. We're in our 47th year of marriage, so we... And hung around for a while with each other. Uh, one of my lines is, uh, I listen to two voices, the Holy Spirit and Letha. <laughs> and most of the time they sound uh, pretty similar <laughs> in what they say. Uh, but we're blessed. Uh, together the Lord has been very good to us. We have two uh, married children, grandkids, and uh, they don't live here in the valley. So we go see them, uh, but we cherish them. Uh, I am a retired-ish pastor. That's the word I use. Um, <clears throat> I was in pastoral ministry for 30 years. And then uh, for 10 years, we came out here in 2015 years. And uh, I was the state pastor for the Church of God. Retired from that in 2015. Are we okay? Um, and... Uh, Immediately from that, went on staff with Community of Hope Church in Maricopa. Now, Community of Hope and One are kind of sister churches in ways. Uh, they were started uh, not too far apart from each other. Uh, Russ Rickers, uh, the pastor at Community of Hope, is also a good friend of Mark Krenz, who was your planting pastor. And uh, so there's similarities there. And I was the discipleship pastor there. I instituted a ministry of discipleship in that church for two and a half years. And then in uh, 2018, um, we went up to Spokane, Washington, Spokane Valley, Washington, to do a long-term interim. We knew it was going to be long-term from the beginning. Spent the majority of the year there. And actually, my last sermon there was on this Sunday last year in Spokane my first Sunday here. And I also want to share a little bit of my heart. Um, much of my ministry has been in kind of transition situations. Uh, we, we pastored a church for 15 years that was uh, really in, in, in a difficult condition when we went. And the Lord led us to go there, and, uh, and we had a fruitful ministry there. Uh, when I came here in Arizona, the state ministry was in a bit of a transition as to their direction and uh, worked through that with the state. And then Community of Hope was transitioning in their ministry from being in schools through the years to a building, and we worked with them as part of what we did. And uh, so in these years, what the Lord has impressed upon my heart is, is to, to help where God leads and God calls to help uh, in transition situations. That's my heart. I want you to know that. 
right from the beginning. So uh, we're going to walk together through a passage this morning that talks a little bit about that, and over the next few weeks, going to talk a little bit about transitions from a biblical perspective, and hopefully uh, God will begin um, to, to work with, with you as God's people uh, as we move forward. So uh, let's have a word of prayer, and then I'll dive into the message. Thank you, Lord, for gathering us this morning in this place. We're glad to be here. What a good spirit that's here this morning, to hear the sound of kids' voices and the rich worship. And now, Lord, we're just here to honor your name, bless your word. May as it go forth, speak to us in the ways we need to hear. I pray in Jesus' name, as they all said together, Amen. Amen. Okay. All righty. So I don't know how many of you have been to Mount Rushmore. Any of you been to Mount Rushmore, South Dakota? Uh, amazing sight. I think we got a picture of it somewhere. But uh, you gotta you gotta want to go there to go there. <laughs> it's in South Dakota. It's not in. You know, on the way to anywhere. Mount Rushmore is a, an amazing sight. These four presidential faces, um, pillars of our democracy who represent different aspects of how our country rose, rose up. And I was at a pastor's conference once where they um, challenged us to list people in our lives who had influenced us, impacted our lives spiritually, to eventually come to what we would believe were our Mount Rushmore names. Those people who had the greatest impact on us. And so as I did that, um, I began to think back all the way to childhood, really, and, and different names came to mind. And actually, it became a pretty long list of, of people kind of strategically along the way who God placed into my life, who both followed God closely with their life, they were authentic in their faith, they cared about people, they cared about me, and, and touched my life. And, and as that list was there, I eventually narrowed it to, to a Mount Rushmore, but what it said to me was, there are a lot of ones along our path in life who impact us and influence us, who are willing to say, I'll be one for you. And, and those people, mostly anonymous people, meaning not faith, uh, famous folks, ordinary Christians, everyday Christians in everyday churches, but God uses them to touch others. I'll be one is the key phrase to say if we're going to impact lives for others. So we're going to look at that this morning, what it means to be one. I listened to uh, Pastor Paul's message from last week uh, and listened. It was, it was a long one. <laughs> from Isaiah, chapter 6. And uh, if you were here, you heard it. Isaiah said, here am I, send me. 
That's essentially another way to say, Lord, I'll be one. I'll go. I'll do. Last Sunday night, Leith and I attended a, a conference, oh, excuse me, a, a concert. Mac Powell and the Family Reunion Band. This was at a church. Now, if that doesn't ring a bell, Mac Powell is the lead singer, has been the lead singer of Third Day, a very popular Christian group. And uh, Third Day stopped their concert ministry about a year ago, broke up as a band, a little more than that maybe. We love Third Day. So we knew who Mac Powell was, so we went to the, con- to the concert. And uh, what, what Mac has done is this. He, he, they've had number one songs on the Christian charts for years. They've played arenas that are full. He's won Grammys. Uh, a very well-known and popular singer in the Christian world. But what Mac felt impressed to do was his roots are in in country music and in southern country music, uh, was to form a band that could go to venues that are not Christian venues, clubs, bars, often not in great places, to uh, to sing and to and to entertain. But he felt like God was calling him to be one to a whole different set of people who would never hear the gospel or never hear Christian songs. They wouldn't listen to them. And so it's Mac Powell and the Family Reunion Band, and they play to maybe 50 to 100 people a night. But what he said at that concert was, this is where God sent me now. He didn't say, I'll be one to do it, but that's basically what he was saying. I'm going to be one to go and do a whole different thing, to reach a whole different group of people. He mentioned during the concert that there would be people, usually there, one or two or maybe more, who actually did know who he was. And they would have a time during their concerts in these in the bars or the nightclubs to say, you know, do you have a, a request? We'll, we'll try to sing a song. And they'd request one of their third day songs and be able to sing about Christ and, and share a little bit about Christ. And he said, it's, it's amazing the doors God opens. Now it's a whole different life. And, and think about that. Here's a guy who's been in the big spotlight. I'll be one. I'll be one. The Bible is full of ones, men and women, who serve God in very very ways that weren't all that noticeable, but how God lifted them up. In fact, that's the sentence that'll be in your outline and I'm going to raise up as kind of the theme. God raises up the unexpected and appoints the unlikely to do things that lead to extraordinary outcomes. God raises up the unexpected and the unlikely to do things that lead to extraordinary outcomes. Those with servant hearts, those who perhaps one act of faith or one word of encouragement or, or one out-of-the-way 
willingness to go and do something that maybe in their own mind wouldn't, wouldn't make sense, but, but led by God, they made a great impact. That's how God often works. That's how God often works. Scripture has a lot of stories of ones. There was times where Jesus in his ministry stopped when he was in the middle of big crowds for one. So he was teaching one day in the middle of a big crowd, and he sees Zacchaeus, a little man, up a tree. If you ever sang about him in Sunday school, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And he stopped in the middle of that crowd. He saw Zacchaeus up a tree. He said, Zacchaeus, come down. We're going we're gonna to eat together today. Jesus stopped at a well in Samaria and began to talk with a Samaritan woman, something Jewish men did not do. And through a conversation, found out her need and, and led her to Christ, led her to faith in Christ and himself. Often Jesus singled out people of one. In the middle of a crowd, a woman touched the hem of his, of his garment. She was ill. She was bleeding. And in the middle of a vast crowd, Jesus felt the, the little tug on his garment. And he stopped, and he ministered to her need. He called his disciples one by one, come follow me. I will make you fishers of men. In the Old Testament, we see God calling ones. He called Abraham, the father of our faith. And after him, he called Noah to build an ark, and Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, and David, a shepherd boy, became the king of Israel, and on and on. God often comes down at our level, taps us on the shoulder, and says, will you be one? Will you be one? Well, we're going to look at a story about that this morning in the New Testament, if you have a Bible, or it's going to be on the screen, Acts chapter 8, and we're going to start with verse 26. And this is a man named Philip. As for Philip, and I want to make sure I'm reading the same translation here, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Candake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship. We stop there. <laughs> and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading ahead from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over and walk alongside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, Do you understand what you are reading? The man replied, How can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? 
He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down in the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north at the town of Azotus. He preached the good news there and in every town along the river until he came to Caesarea. So I'm going to give you a little context here on this passage. Philip is, is mentioned three times in the New Testament. He's not a prominent name in the New Testament, but three times he's mentioned. The first is in Acts chapter 6, a couple of chapters before this, and he is one of the seven that was chosen by the early church. The early church was exploding after Pentecost, and the gospel was spreading, and uh, so there was a lot of impact in that culture of that day, but the, the widows were being neglected because there wasn't the, the kind of care that they needed in the midst of all the vast explosions. So the disciples were, were preaching the gospel and teaching, but they needed people to care for widows. And so it says they chose seven, and the passage says, full of the Holy Spirit and faith to minister to the widows, to provide for their needs, to bring meals to them, to do the things that they needed at that time. Widows in that culture, there wasn't social security, there wasn't pensions, they needed the care of the body. And so we see this as kind of the first uh, compassionate care ministry in the life of the church. Seven were appointed. Philip was one of them. And then the next time we read about him is a little earlier in this chapter, and Philip is an evangelist. He's called Philip the Evangelist, and he's preaching to crowds just like Jesus did, and he was spreading the gospel, and people were being healed and baptized. And Philip had a, a wide public ministry north of Jerusalem. Then the third time we see his name is here in this passage. Now, what's, what's interesting about this passage is that Philip, who had a, a, a public ministry, a preaching and teaching ministry, God says, Philip, go south on the road to Gaza. Now, uh, we've been in Israel twice, and we live in a desert, right? We know what the desert is like. Israel... And uh, Jordan, the country right next to it, uh, has a lot of desert. It has a lot of lush fields. It has mountains like here, but, but there's desert. And the desert there is, uh, there's not, it's just brown dirt. There's not much vegetation at all. It's, it's, it's really a desolate desert. And so when you go south from Jerusalem to Gaza, it's, it's a desolate desert road. So God says to Philip, through an angel, go south. This wouldn't have made sense to him at the time. He was, Lord, I have this big public ministry up here. Go south. And so he goes south on the way to Gaza. And while he's there, he meets this interesting, unique person called in Scripture the Ethiopian eunuch. Now, he was a government official with the queen of Ethiopia. He had a fairly responsible position, uh, but he was also a man that was an outlier. He was on the outside of things. People did not look to him with favor. And that might have been why he was on this desert road by himself. But as the Spirit spoke to Philip, he was to go to this Ethiopian. And a conversation starts. And Philip was very intentional about his conversation with him because he understood at this point 
that he was called to minister to this man. So out of this passage, we we see some things that I'm going to list here. What it means to say, I'll be one. I'll be one. Philip is called to leave his public ministry, go south on a desert road, to be one. So in the first two verses of that passage that we read, it says this, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. Verse 27 says, so he started out. The first thing it means to be one is to be one who goes where God sends. Be one who goes where God sends. found it interesting in studying for this passage, this, this message. It, it, it's already kind of a, a different thing for Philip to hear, go south. But it says, so he went. So he started out. Now, there wasn't a a five-point blueprint of what's going to happen when he started south. He had no idea what was going to happen, but he started out. As I mentioned earlier, we've been about a part of transition ministry before. And what you got to do is start out. You don't have a blueprint. And as you folks who care deeply about this church, there isn't a one, two, three step for this. But if you start out, God begins to reveal things. And and there's going to be an intentional thing that we walk through together over this time, however long God leads. But it starts by simply starting out. You got to go where God sends. To say, I'll be one. I'll, I'll be one. I can't do it all, but I'll be one. Philip went where God sent him. Now, I'm I'm a structure. I like routine. I grew up, my dad was in accounting for 42 years for the same company. We had a very uh, kind of stable life, stable home, ate at the same time, did things a lot, but very stable. I I like structure, I like routine. When I got called into ministry, I realized... Ministry is not a routine life. Uh, and, and when you go where God sends, you just go. And he reveals it. Now, I kind of go by the, the, the slogan, I, I love spontaneity as long as it's well planned. <laughs> but it's not the way it always works. But what I am confident in is God says, take the next right step. Take the next right step. He has a way of unfolding what he wants. So we have to go where God sends. Second, be one in the power that you have. I mentioned that Philip was a man full of the Holy Spirit and faith. That's how he is defined. Now, they picked uh, people full of the Holy Spirit and faith to serve meals to widows. Not that that's a, a small ministry, but the qualification was you needed to be filled with God's spirit, with his power, to have the heart to do this and do it well and do it right. Now, when we're walking with our Lord day by day, he fills us with power. That's our promise that we have. 
Whatever we face, whatever strength we need, whatever power we need, he brings his power to our need. We have to believe that. We have to believe that in our weaknesses, God knows how to empower us. I don't know, stand up here with, with a uh, list of answers, but I do stand as a God-empowered servant. And he will guide us as we trust in the power that he gives us. Leith, if you'd give me the football. Um, this is football season. And uh, I'm going to do a little illustration here from Vince Lombardi. He was coach of the Green Bay Packers in the 1960s. Legendary coach, the Super Bowl trophies named after him. Uh, the Packers, I grew up in Wisconsin, so I grew up with being a Packer fan. And Vince Lombardi, um, they won five championships in a row in the 60s. They won the first two Super Bowls. And Vince Lombardi, after every year, they won these championships. And they, um, in winning them, won them decisively. And it was a veteran group of players. But every year in the fall, at the start of the season, before the first practice started, Vince Lombardi would stand up in the locker room, lift up a football, and say, gentlemen, this is a football. What he meant by that was this. We're going to start over again. We're going to do the fundamentals. We're going to lay the foundation for another season. We're not going to take anything for granted. We're going to do the, th- the things that all of us have to do to get in shape. We're going to do the drills now that will keep our strength strong at the end of a long season. We're going to do the foundational things that make us, again, in a position to win. You know, in the church, whatever church, what we have to do is the fundamentals. Worship. Prayer. Teaching the word. Fellowship. Discipleship. As we do those week in and week out, as we continue in those practices, whatever they are, the Lord has a way of working if one step at a time we keep focusing where we need to focus. So I pray that uh, one reason I like this illustration is if, if anybody's sleeping, I can, I can <laughs> throw a tail. Didn't see anybody nodding off, but just in case. So be one in the power uh, that you have. Be one with the tools that you have. Uh, What's interesting is he gets in this conversation with the eunuch, and the eunuch is reading the scripture, and he doesn't fully understand it, and he says, what, what does this mean? And, and Philip speaks to him. Uh, the eunuch says, tell me what the prophet was talking about, himself or someone else. So beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. The tools we have are our testimony. And, and Philip was... Uh, a strong believer and a man full of the spirit and faith. But simply, he, he shared the good news about Jesus and what he understood about it. And that's the tools you and I have. If we're going to impact life, it starts with our faith, with our understanding of Scripture, 
with our willingness to share our faith when God opens a door. That's what he did through Philip. He told him the good news about Jesus. There's a uh, verse that I, I love that I, is, is a heart for me of, of how to share the gospel or how to share your Christian life with others. First Peter 3.15. Did we put that on the outline? I can't remember. Uh, it says this, Always be prepared to give a defense when anyone calls you to account for the hope that is in you, but do this with gentleness and respect. In other words, when we're sharing within the body, when we're sharing with people, somebody might come along the Gaza road, that we share the hope that's within us in a way that allows God to work with gentleness and respect. That's the mood. That's the spirit in which God wants us to work together. Be one with the tools you have. Be one because others need what you have. We don't often think that way. Well, what do I have to offer that others might need? But you know what? It's your life, your testimony, your uniqueness that God often uses to reach people. This is one community church that has gathered together today and through these years and there's a, there's a church right next door here. But you know, God needs what you have to offer and what each individual has to offer as much as any place else because it takes all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. It takes all kinds of ones. We're not here by accident. Others need what you have. Philip after he shared the gospel, then the eunuch wanted to be baptized. He baptized him, and then God took him away to another place. But God was with that Ethiopian from that day on. He was with Philip as he moved on. You see, God's always with us. The greatest promise of Scripture, I will never fail you or forsake you. 365 times in the Bible, the phrase is used, be not afraid. It's the most often used scripture, phrase in scripture. One for every day of the year. (laughs) Be not afraid today. The second is some combination of, but I am with you. I am always with you. I will never fail you or forsake you. Be not afraid. If it's just by itself, kind of sounds like, don't think about elephants, you know? Right away you think about elephants. Be not afraid, but I'm afraid. But I am always with you. Be one because God's always with you. Seeking the one has been a part of your DNA from the beginning. Uh, The Krenzes stayed in our house for over a week when they moved here plant this church till they got their own place. And, and in Mark's heart, he left an established church in Indiana, but he believed that this growing young community had lost ones. And he had a passion for the lost one. And so he started out. That's part of the DNA here. It's part of what motivates. Uh, So what does it mean for you 
today to say I'll be one. We're going to receive communion in just a couple of minutes. And I'm going to ask you, it's not going to be passed uh, after I close the service here too. Um, Sarah's going to come up. Uh, worship team will lead us in a song. And while they're, they're leading us in that song, I'm just going to ask you when you're ready, when you are ready to come up, to simply come up and take the bread and the cup and go back to your seat with it. Spend a little time thinking about what does it mean for, for me right now to say, I'll be one. That's really the, the only way God's going to work in a good way. When each one says, I'll be one. So pray about that a little bit. Meditate on that just as the song is sung. After the song is over, I'll lead us in partaking of the elements. So well, this is a time of, of just worship and, and uh, prayer. And as we do that, the last I'll be one phrase here is I'll be one because only God knows the impact of one. Only God knows that when we find someone, what's going to happen. Now, what resulted from this Ethiopian, the gospel had not gone to Africa before. And out of that one experience along the road, the gospel started and spread throughout Africa. Because one man, Philip, said, I'll go south. I'll leave the crowds. I'll go to the desert. And he meets a eunuch, an Ethiopian eunuch, and God uses it for all time. We don't know the impact of one. So I'm going to pray, and then Sarah and the band, if you will, Lead us in a song. Father, we thank you for your presence among us this morning. Thank you that you are all. And I pray during this time now, just thoughtful prayer that you would guide and uh, you would open our heart. You know our hopes and dreams and you know our needs, you know our fears. Speak to us, Lord, and as we partake together, we are again saying, Lord, I'll be one, and in Christ we are one. Bless this time, I pray. Amen. Amen.